Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode. Happy Wednesday. Full disclosure, I just wanted to let you guys know, I have a couple announcements I really quickly want to make. Um, Today we have an amazing guest on the show, but I will say we recorded this episode 35 minutes in, it froze and cut me off, which was pretty embarrassing and awful because you don't want to do that in an interview, but our guest was such a trooper about it. He was so nice. Um, Redid the whole interview with the same amount of uh, passion and fire, so kudos to him. Really appreciate it. Next announcement, um, I am, as you all know, I just had my new website, Mind Body Musings, launch, Uh, so I'm migrating from moonfitness.net to mind body musings so everything you see that says moonfitness.net just pretend it says mindbodymusings.com so i'm super super excited about it bear with me as i tweet about it talk about it share it yada 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 i'm gonna do that for just a little bit so people can get the hang of this new website um you guys thank you so much for going over there and giving me your feedback on it it's very podcast focused so if you are enjoying the show, if you're liking the show, let me know. Like, tell me. It's really what fuels my fire, and it excites me when I get a comment or when I read a new iTunes review or anything. You seriously are the best. And if you know someone that could benefit from this show, share it with them. You know, let them know or um, share this podcast if you enjoyed it or share your favorite one on Facebook, Twitter. You know, I do this strictly because I know someone out there is listening and appreciating it and learning from something. So the more people that listen to this podcast, the more people I reach. And the best way for me to get more people to listen to it is for it to be shared. So if you have two seconds out of your day, quickly just copy this link, share it, um, tell me what you like about it. It can be even if you just want to tell me. That's cool too. I just want to know. Tell me what you like about it or what could be better or whatever's on your mind. Yeah, because it's, it's, this is more than a hobby to me. You know, This is really my passion and I thoroughly enjoy it and love it and connecting with you guys is the best thing ever. All right, so the reason why I'm kind of trying to run through this is because I had already recorded this and it cut me off, actually. Um, I got 15 minutes through this intro and then it froze on me and I was speaking with Passion Fire and now um, it's 11 at night and I'm sleepy and I just want to get this information out there and I want to do it as exciting as I did before. So bear with me as I go a little bit fast. Um, but anyways, you know, what? the thing I wanted to talk about real quickly is Um, what I'm going through right now with my fitness and nutrition because you know I've I've been a little bit distant about talking about my fitness and nutrition lately on social media if you go back a year ago that's all I did was talk about hey you know I did bison back today and I I did this today this is my workout my leg workout and this is how I'm eating afterwards my protein pancakes blah 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 Um, meal one meal two meal six meal nine but lately I've been not doing that at all in fact I haven't posted any workouts and I haven't posted much about my food because I decided I really needed to disconnect from uh, social media and take it away and you know minimize that aspect of my life so I could be a little bit more intuitive with my food and with my fitness and um, I know on a couple of these podcasts I have mentioned that I've been taking a break from the gym and that's basically what I wanted to talk about right now is to give you a little bit of insight on what I've been going through. So I recently decided to go back to the gym to um, just do a regular bodybuilding split. You know, it was about a month that I took off and started going back about 
two weeks ago. Um, you wouldn't know, though, because I was silent about it. It just kind of started going. Um, but this past weekend, uh, I went to the gym, felt good. Then later that night, I had some not-so-clean but yet very nourishing food with friends and uh, a couple drinks and that was my night the next day I woke up like oh my gosh I feel so gross I need to go to the gym and work out because you know I ate that way last night so I just have to go to the gym and work it off so um red flag number one okay so then I go and I'm wearing just some regular old soccer shorts nothing special my hair is tied back you know I wasn't wearing makeup and I get on the Stairmaster, and of course, there's these floor-length mirrors left, right, side to side, up, down, everywhere. And I'm like checking out my legs, and I'm really discouraged by what I see, basically. And instead of looking at my body and saying, wow, you know, I have legs, I have the ability to climb up the Stairmaster, I was saying, wow, I'm really needing to be enslaved by this Stairmaster so I can get my legs back into 110% shape. And what is that? A ton of cellulite? What is that? Oh my gosh. I better go full throttle on this thing. And so, you know, then I work out upset with my body. Red flag number, like, one, two, three, four, five. So, um, get into this workout, finish my sprints, then I go over and do some, you know, typical chest or shoulders or whatever and lifting hard, kind of getting back in my element, but I keep looking at my legs, and I keep looking and looking and looking and saying, oh my gosh, it's embarrassing, I need to get out of here, but no, I can't get out of here, I gotta stay. So, this is basically what was starting to happen to me within this workout. I had gone out with friends, had an amazing time, and then immediately felt like like I needed to suffer. And the remarkable thing about this, I promise this isn't such a bad story, the remarkable thing about this is that once upon a time, I probably would have thrived on this mindset this thrived on this i'm not good enough i need to be good enough i better work on perfection now to no i'm just not going to do this i'm not going to do this to myself i cut my shirt at my my cut my workout short and i left i mean i got a good workout in i didn't enjoy it as much as i should have but i just ended up leaving because i knew this wasn't right and this is not how i should be treating myself and that is pretty cool to me, to be able to look back and see that. Usually, you know, I, I do these podcasts. I still have a, f- a few podcasts lined up ready to go for about three weeks. So um, have them ready to go. But this is basically, this is very close to real time because I am recording this the Monday before I'm releasing it, which will be August 13th. So that's a Wednesday. Um, so I'm telling you from like where I am right now on August 11th is that this just happened this past weekend and I'm realizing what my triggers really are. And it's it's crazy how easy you can turn something that's so perfectly healthy into something that's not healthy. And my goal in life is to get to a place of utter happiness with my body. And being able to be aware of those signs and say, wow, I just beat myself down for absolutely no reason. You know, that didn't feel very good. I'm not going to do that again. It's pretty freaking powerful to be able to say, hey, I'm better than that. I have amazing legs that can lift me up. I have a body that wants to put enough skin around it to protect what's on the inside. 
And that's pretty remarkable. And for anyone else who's th- out there thinking that way and going to the gym and going in with this mindset of, I need to be better, I need to work on something, please listen to me now. Listen to this this little introduction because I could probably make a whole podcast episode out of this, but I just want to share this experience that... I think there is something interesting about a bodybuilding split routine. I'm kind of talking about, you know, Monday arms, Tuesday chest and um, shoulders, and then Wednesday legs, and Thursday off day, minus the three hours of cardio or whatever, 30 minutes, I don't know. That kind of thing versus a full body workout, you know, three times a week, uh, slash rock climbing, running, hiking, walking, swimming, Um, CrossFit, not that I'm saying any of those are better than that. None of these are better. And if you're actually thriving in this, then that's really awesome. And I'm not judging you whatsoever because I know what that's like. I know what it's like to thrive in this. And I'm really, really proud of you. And I'm happy for you that you found something that you feel amazing in. But obviously, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about not feeling amazing. And for the people who are doing something that's not making them feel amazing, it's time to walk away. It's time to walk out. And it's time to give your per- yourself permission to walk away. But what I was going to say before I got on that tangent is that the bodybuilding routine, I feel like, me, I feel like, when you go in with a certain mindset of, all right, today's shoulders day, I'm working on changing my shoulders or improving my shoulders or transforming my shoulders then you're really focusing on that one body part that needs to change and you're seeing some kind of imperfection you might be going in with the mindset of I want to just have fun and work my shoulders that's different I hope you see what I'm saying I hope you're catching what I'm throwing but what I'm trying to say is that whenever you're going into um a facility like a gym or a rec center to train a body part and you focus on it and you start to notice that you're focusing on it being a negative instead of a positive turning into even more of a positive then that's when you're in the danger zone and that's when you should really consider doing something else I know it's scary I know it's hard it's out of your comfort zone but try it try it I promise you'll be okay your body will not just you're not going to wake up in the morning and then not like your body anymore because your body will never not like you. It's always going to love you. It's time to love it back. So what I'm basically trying to say here is that I went to the gym, I had negative thoughts, and I left. And, you know, I'm not saying that tomorrow I'm not going to go to the gym. I'm not saying that I'm not going to do a bodybuilding split routine. And I'm not saying that I'm not going to do... This dare master. But what I am saying is that I feel really good when I'm outside. I feel really good when I do yoga. I feel really good when I rock climb and hike. And, you know, I live in an amazing place where I can go to happy hour. Then I can go ride my bike. Then I can go on a hike. And then I can go to the farmer's market. All in one day. Why not take advantage of that? Why in the world would I spend a second more being upset about something that's already beautiful and that's my question for you today is if are you spending any time dwelling on something that you don't think is perfect and what is your standard what are you comparing that body part to to something that is not real such as a photoshopped leg on a magazine or a model that 
is paid to look that way and doesn't have any family or any loved ones, think about what you have in your life. And really ask yourself, would you trade your friendships and your peace of mind and your loved one and, you know, your best dog friend and um, nourishing food for perfection? If you had to give all that up to uh, receive this, I'm doing quotations in the air, perfection, which isn't real, by the way, in case you haven't, you know, noticed by now, it's not real, but, you know pretending like it was real and you could give up everything for that would you if the answer is no then don't even try to come close don't do it just don't even try to come close how about you just do whatever your intuition tells you feels good and i'm talking about activity wise and food wise if something feels really good to you and makes you smile and makes you feel nourished and satiated and it makes you feel like the best version of yourself and that's what you should be doing. And if you start to, to notice that you think you should feel some way about a certain something like I do with um, just the gym in itself, when my heart's really telling me not to do it because I'm being so self-critical, then that's when I got to be a big girl and step back. And that's when you got to be a big girl or boy and step back and say, you know what? I'm not treating myself right right now. And I know exactly how to treat myself right. It's to get myself out of this situation. And this could be so many different things. I just talk about this because this is my experience. But this could be, um, I mean, you could translate this into partying too much. Or hanging out with that one group of friends that you know isn't the best for you. Or shopping. Or, um, I don't I don't know. I'm running out of ideas. But there's a lot of different things. And, um just think about that thing in your life. And if you don't have something, then, man, I want to meet you because you're awesome. And if you do have something, I still want to meet you because you're awesome too. And that's pretty sweet. We can all talk about this together. It's pretty awesome. But anyways, this has been a really long intro, 15 minutes. So I'm going to go ahead and get ready for this podcast episode because it's amazing. Um, it is a touchy subject. It might be a little sensitive to some people. We are talking about breast cancer and um, uh diseases and this guy knows his stuff so keep your ears open and enjoy the show you're listening to the mind body musings podcast the show where you can learn the most intricate details about the body the mind and how lifestyle choices link the two to create individual health for every shape and size i'm fitness and nutrition expert maddie moon here to enlighten you on how to live your life in a way that promotes satiation thrivation and self-appreciation hope you enjoy the show hello everyone and welcome back to the mind body musings podcast with maddie moon this is the show where you can learn the most intricate details about the body the mind and how lifestyle choices link the two to create individual health for every shape and size. Today marks episode 15, and we are going to have an excellent show to celebrate this milestone. Our guest, Sydney Ross Singer, has a wealth of knowledge and isn't afraid to challenge social norms for the sake of health and longevity. Him and his wife are the directors of the Institute for the Study of Culturogenic Disease located in Hawaii. He is internationally recognized for his revolutionary research linking breast cancer with the wearing of tight bras, which he describes in his book, Dress to Kill. 
Sid goes even further beyond researching the correlation between bras and breast cancer and dives into other cultured diseases such as migraines, Alzheimer's, stroke, glaucoma, sleep apnea, thyroid disease, obesity, diabetes, and so much more. This is going to be an exceptional and informative episode, to say the least, and I hope you keep your ears and eyes open to the information we're going to be fortunate enough to receive. So with that said, welcome to the show, Sid. Well, hi, Maddie. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so good. Um, So for everyone joining with us today, me and Sid just recorded about 30 minutes of this episode. So... And we're going to have to do this all over for you again because we love you. But my stupid computer decided to freeze. So we're going to dive on in again and hope this time everything goes smoothly. But, you know, no worries. Twice the practice. That's right. No problem. (laughs) Anyways, um, yeah, let's just go ahead and dive on back in. We were going to discuss culturogenic disease and how you got started with all of these amazing and super eye-opening uh, revolutions, really. They are. It, you know, it's amazing that medicine hasn't really uh, thought about the issues that we've come up with, which is, you know, that's really been one of my frustrations, Maddie, is that um, not only are we pioneering a new form of medical um, inquiry and research and treatment, really, uh, in, it's called applied medical anthropology, where we look at how the culture is making people sick. Um, not only are we doing something new that way, but the, um, the method, the theories that we've come up with to explain this mechanism are new. It's like, it's mind blowing to me how simple they are. And yet they're basically mechanical issues of different things we're doing that interfere with circulation. And let's just jump into the bra issue again, um, as we did 30 minutes ago, um, (laughs) You know, what, what we discovered is that um, women are wearing bras too tight for too long every day, and ultimately that takes its toll on breast health because of constriction. Some people think it also might be because of heat. Uh, the bras heat the breasts too, and that's associated with health problems uh, and cancers when things get overheated. Um, but the, the model that we used is constriction, and what that does is it cuts off the lymphatic drainage from the breasts. It impairs it so that the, the lymph backs up, and that's why women get cysts and pain in their breasts. These cysts are filled with this lymph fluid, and the breast can't cleanse of toxins in the tissues, and these toxins are, are from both produced by your body as it metabolizes and also from uh, pollution in our food, air, and water, the chemicals that in the plastics and the, pe- the pesticides and, you know, all these things that we take into our body, even drugs, they, uh, many of them can be carcinogenic and they course through your body and they have to be flushed out. And the lymphatic system has a responsibility to do that. And if you impair it, the lymphatics by constriction, then you cause a backup of this fluid and the tissue gets just toxic and over time deteriorates and can get cancer. And what we, that's exactly what we're doing to women's breasts with bras. After 30 years or so from puberty on, a woman is wearing a bra sometimes 12, 18, 24 hours a day. Uh, it's going to take its toll on breast health. And we discovered that women who wear bras 24 hours a day have about 100 times higher rate of breast cancer than bra-free women, and bra-free women have about the same rate as a man, which is very low. Uh, so it's this is the 
a leading cause of breast cancer. We think about 70% of the cases of breast cancer can be explained by the bra. And even cases that aren't solely by the, uh, caused by the bra, anytime you interfere with circulation, you're going to you know, cause problems anyway. Um, so we were talking, I think when we, I was asking you about your bra wearing uh, issues, because you said that you heard me speak a couple of weeks ago on a podcast and you took off your bra yeah. and then uh, can you share that experience again? Yeah, of I think course. Interesting. It's kind of funny because I was listening to that and you know, like the effect when you, like when you, when you see someone yawn, you start to yawn or you see someone sneeze and all of a sudden you want to sneeze. It's really strange. Well, I was listening to you on the model health show with Sean Stevenson and you were talking about the bra wearing and I immediately just got irritated in my bra and I was like really frustrated that I was wearing it. And like for the rest of the day, because I was at work and I was like, I'm not going to take it off at work. I mean, like I can't do that or whatever. And waited till I got in the car, ripped it off. I felt so good. So I don't know. I just immediately listening to you talk about it, I got irritated with wearing my bra. So took it off. Um, I tried to strategize and think, how can I get away with not wearing a bra, you know, for ever because I don't want to, you know, I want to avoid cancer at all costs. I mean, if there's something I can do to avoid it, then I'm going to do it. I don't care if like everyone agrees with it or doesn't. If there's just something I can do, I want to do it. So took it off. And um, for the past two weeks, I've actually been wearing a, a very, very thin like uh, camisole type little tank. And I'm pretty lucky because I'm very small breasted and it's very easy for for me to get away with that except for certain outfits like certain dresses and some sheer tops I have and I'm like well that's um, like the a v-neck or that's too low or I don't know how I would get away with not wearing a bra like what's my what are my office uh, co-workers gonna think what am I gonna do and and you know I want to go out and tell everyone about this but I'm very fortunate that I'm small-breasted so I'm just kinda wondering how someone that's large-breasted or has um, bigger you know, bigger breasts and like how they work out or go to work and how they would be able to do this because, um, yeah. you know, that's just a very big dilemma in this day and age. I mean, everyone wears a bra. You're supposed to wear a bra. You're a woman. Like you have to. And if you don't, then you're going to be stared at and you're going to be labeled a hippie or whatever. Well, you know, um, I'm sure you're stared at all the time anyway. <laughs> And I think, you know, men will look at breasts whether they're in bras or not, if, they're, if that's the kind of man he is. Mm. So uh, I think, you know, what we're talking about here is, um, you know, the nature of a culturogenic disease. And that's what I study, how the culture makes people sick. And I should give my background again. Um, you know, uh, I am, a, as a medical anthropologist, I use medicine, anthropology, and my training in biochemistry to understand how the body works and how the way our culture trains us to do things that interferes with that proper operation of the body. In, in a nutshell, I feel like, you know, nature designed the human body to operate properly until for, for many, many years. I mean, we can live to be very old. But the culture gets in the way with these with attitudes and behaviors that it gives us from birth. That I mean, even prenatally, we get impressed by the culture. You know, there are things that happen to the baby in the womb, and these uh, these cultural impacts uh, condition us to do things that sometimes can be bad for your body. You know, a good analogy is the culture is like um, if I'm going to use a computer analogy, the culture is the hardware. Uh, that's that's your hardware. It's your your. I'm not sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Not the culture. 
your body is your hardware. That's uh, your, your bones, your muscles, your organs. This is your hardware, like your computer. And then these, this body, the hardware, operates according to an operating system that makes it flow properly and integrate. And that's like your instinct level. That's the level we share with other animals. The body works and it works by this operating system. Then the culture comes in and gives us these apps. And some of these apps have malware in them and they make us do things that can cause problems to the hardware and to the operating system. And we need to identify those apps and delete them. And that's what I do as a medical anthropologist. But the, these apps are culturally prescribed. They're built into businesses like the lingerie industry makes billions every year selling bras. The fashion industry, which relies on a bra shape. So you feel like I can't wear things without a bra. So it's all built in. And then you have the medical industry, which makes money on the disease that's created by this. So, I mean, there's According to the American Cancer Society, there's about a quarter of a million women getting breast cancer in the U.S. every year. And um, of, so how much does it cost to treat a person with breast cancer? I mean, it's like 100000 on the average. And that doesn't include all the mammograms to, to, to test people and all the follow-ups. and the cert you know, It's just a big, multi, multi-billion dollar a year industry. And uh, so when you have that kind of pressure in a medical system that makes it's a profit oriented medical system, I mean, it's run by corporations, the biggest power in the medical world of the pharmaceutical industry, which wants to sell drugs. So they're not interested in preventing a disease by telling women, don't go with, you know, go without your bra. In fact, they're, they're suppressing this information despite our research and about half a dozen other studies now that all support what I'm telling you about bras causing cancer, except there's none that refutes it. The only problem is it's not something that the chemical controlled, the pharmaceutical uh, controlled cancer industry is interested in. Their, their job is detecting and treating cancer, not preventing it by having people change their lifestyle. So to get to your question about, okay, if you have big breasts, do you need a bra? Well, the answer to that is no. There is nothing about the human body that was designed incorrectly that needs 20th century lingerie. You know, mm -hmm. just like women used to think, oh, I need a corset or I need a girdle. That's not true. These devices actually create dependency on them because when you externally support, when you support your body by an external device like this, like a harness, in this case, you're holding your breasts up with a harness and moving them and changing their shape. You end up becoming reliant on that harness for support, and it causes the breast to become weak and droopier. And that's been shown recently in research. And if you get rid of the bra, the breast tone and lift, and the fluid leaves the breast that's been congesting it, which means cysts go away, pain goes away. And, you know, a lot of women, by the way, feel uh, menstrual pain. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but around... You know, menstruating women just like a few days before their period will start getting really sore breasts and they know that their period's coming because their breasts are sore. And um, you've heard that before, right, Maddie? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, you've I have heard that. So, well, what it is is that there were, you know, when your period comes, uh, your, your estrogen, uh, which is your female sex hormone, it peaks uh, just before your period. And that causes your body to swell because estrogen causes fluid retention. So women's breasts are actually, and their whole bodies are actually a little bigger uh, at that time because of the estrogen. And they're wearing the same size bra 
So the constriction is even worse at that time. And that's why it's even more painful. And that's when a lot of cysts start to appear and, and they give them a lot of, women get a lot of trouble at that time because of being a little bit larger breasted and wearing the same constrictive bra. So when they get rid of the bra, that problem goes away actually pretty quickly. Wow. Uh, it's amazing. In fact, if, if you take your bra off and you have red marks or indentations around your breasts from the bra, your bra is too tight. It's constricting you. And th those marks are signs of constriction. And that means your lymphatics are backing up and you're toxifying your breast tissue and just getting it loaded with fluid. And that prevents proper nutrition to the cells and, and you can't eliminate waste efficiently. And it's just, you know, you're choking the breast over time after 20 to 30 years of that. That's why women get breast cancer. And um, so it, when you go to places where they don't wear bras, like we, we did a study, our first study in Dress to Kill was in Fiji. I'm sorry, it was in the United States. We did about um, 5,000 women approximately, half of them had breast cancer. And we asked them their past bra wearing habits to see the correlation. And that's where we found this huge correlation. Uh, and, and it's causative. It's not just a correlation. It's, cause it, it, it's causal. So there's a, there's a mechanism for explaining the problem. We went to Fiji where about half the women are bra free. And we found that the only women getting breast cancer there were the ones wearing bras. And we went to villages looking for cases, histories of breast cancer. And women who were working at a job that required a bra for the dress code, they were the ones getting breast disease. The, the nurses, teachers, and women working in resorts. Other women from the same village with the same genetics, the same diet, they weren't wearing bras and they weren't having breast disease. And when you go around the world, it's that's the same case in every culture. If it's a bra wearing culture, they have a high rate of breast cancer. If they're not, if they're bra free, they, breast cancer is like unheard of. Um, other examples are like uh, in New Zealand, the Maori, which are the indigenous people there, uh, they're completely acculturated. They're like everybody else. They've completely accepted Western culture. And they dress using the same, wearing bras. And their breast cancer rates are just as high as the whites in New Zealand. When you go to Australia, the Aborigines there are very marginalized. And they do not dress in a Western way. And they don't wear bras. And they have no breast cancer. Um, so you're dealing with... Um, Somebody just told me recently in Peru, they just discovered that the Peruvian Indians have no breast cancer. They don't wear bras. And the regular, you know, westernized Peruvians have high breast cancer rates and they all wear bras. And then when people from these cultures move from bra-free cultures to bra-wearing ones, they start wearing bras and their breast cancer rates start to go up. Um, so it's, it's a real simple thing for women to try. Um, and, oh, you, you asked me specifically about large-breasted women. So women in Fiji, when they're, when they, uh, they're of large breasts who never worn bras, I asked them about, you know, would you like to wear a bra? And they would say, no, there's no way I can wear a bra. It's too tight. It's too uncomfortable. And their breasts are firm and healthy. And I've, I've done interviews now on this for over 20 years. And I've had a lot of women call in and contact me who've never worn bras and their breasts are firm and healthy, never had a problem, no fibrocystic breast disease. I mean, that should be called tight bra syndrome because it's, that's what's causing it. And, you know, it's, it's a real simple um, uh, mechanism to understand. And with, um, so large-breasted women do not need a bra for support. Their breasts aren't, you know, when you take these heavy breasts, though, and you lift them with a bra, 
you'll see that you know you're shifting the weight mostly to the shoulder and you'll find you ever see these women with large breasts who have deep grooves in their shoulders yeah on yeah, the top yeah, yeah. yeah those grooves actually have been shown to cut off the pressure from the bra uh, and creates those grooves i mean imagine when they take their bras off they still have these deep indentations i mean deep grooves in their shoulders that's a lot of pressure over the years that causes this. This is a chronic long-term problem that every day, a little bit at a time, you're causing your whole breast, breast disease. These grooves, though, cut on the nerves going down the arm and actually cause tingling and numbness in the hands. That's been known about breast. It also, by nerve impingement, can cause headaches and back aches and slumped over shoulders, bad posture. You don't want to take your breasts and lift them up artificially and hold them up. You have to let, you know, they, they reach a center of gravity on your body and that's where they belong. And, you know, uh, women just have to learn to accept their bodies. And uh, when they're doing exercise, I mean, that's the question I'm often asked is what about exercise? And um, when you're working out, if one of the benefits of working out actually is increasing your circulation, including your lymphatics. Your lymphatics uh, increase about 21 times their, their uh, circulation during exercise. And if you um, cut off your breasts for, with a bra, cut off that lymphatic circulation, you're not getting the benefit of the exercise. But if you're doing something that's kind of bouncy and you feel like you need something, you can wear maybe a, uh, some type of a sports bra, make sure it's not too tight, for support during that time, the way a man might maybe wear a jock strap, or they used to. Um, the, uh, but take it off right afterwards. And I suggest that women uh, actually just pick an exercise that's, that's right for your body. You know, I don't know if you recommend this to people, but you know, our culture makes this assumption that anybody should be able to do anything if you buy the right clothing and have a trainer and, you know, you get the magazines and you just get into it and commit to it. But, you know, you see these like obese people trying to jog, thinking they're doing themselves a favor. They're going to destroy their knees and their ankles and their hips. You know, you, you have to pick exercises that are appropriate for your body type. And if you are a large breasted woman and you're uncomfortable with, um, exercises that are too bouncy for you, then I suggest you do things like Swimming, which is good for your cardiovascular system and it's gravity free. Um, biking, jogging, uh, not jogging, uh, yoga. Those are these exercises will be a lot easier on your body. So that's one of the things I, I would say to a large-breasted woman who's concerned about, you know, do I need a bra for support? You know, you really don't. It's all brainwashing from a very powerful lingerie industry. Uh, that gets into your brain when you start playing with Barbie dolls when you're a little kid. And it's downhill from there, you know? Oh my gosh, yeah, that's fascinating. It's just kind of like society tells us there's this one kind of beautiful and people try to chase after that and just believe that society knows all and same with the bra wearing. It's fascinating. And, just, just Yeah, and it's, it's, it's such an easy thing to understand. It's constriction. And yet the medical community, uh, I'm calling for a boycott of the Susan G. Coleman Foundation and the American Cancer Society because for 20 years now, they've been ignoring this. There are now half a dozen studies supporting this, none refuting it on the broad cancer link. And they refuse to even consider this. They say what I just said is ridiculous. Doesn't even deserve a research study to look into it. And they could so easily look into this. And I think actually between us 
I think they have looked into this. I, I'm pretty sure the bra industry has looked into this, and I know they they know we're right because if they did look into it and they saw we were wrong, they would have published that. They don't have to publish results that they don't like. And I think they know we're right. I've had bra manufacturers approach me with different for my endorsement, which I don't give for um, bra designs that are supposed to be healthier for you, less constrictive and things like that. So the lingerie industry actually recognizes that bras are causing problems. They've even suspected underwires for years now as causing problems. And um, But the medical industry has been the ones that have been keeping this from getting out the way it needs. I have been on media around the world. I've been doing this for 20 years as I've said, and uh, by grassroots efforts, women have heard it. They get rid of their bra like you did when you heard it, and they discover that their cysts go away and their breasts feel so much healthier, and it convinces them just by their own personal experience that this was bad for them, wearing the bra. They don't need to, you know, you don't need to have have big fancy studies. It's not like we're doing drugs trials or surgical trials. It's just stopping a cultural practice that's causing disease. Just like in, for a thousand years, the Chinese used to bind feet of women. Mm. I don't know if you know about that. Mm -hmm. uh, foot binding in China was considered the thing to do for affluent women. They were kept basically you know, hobbled and they couldn't walk around. Their toes would get necrotic and rot away. And the men found erotic enjoyment unwrapping their feet every day and cleaning them and wrapping them up again. And this went on for a thousand years. And it's not like there was a mystery, what's causing my feet to decay, you know? It was fashion. So people are like slaves of fashion. And they are, uh, it, it seems more important for people to belong than to be healthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's something I fight all the time. And this is like a simple lifestyle intervention that we could end. There was a study in Harvard that came out in 1991 that found half the rate of breast cancer in bra-free women. That study has been ignored even by the authors. They tried explaining that away because it wasn't part of their model. They were looking at something else. It was an accident and they didn't understand it. So they thought, well, maybe it was breast size or something, but they also found that breast size has very little to do with breast cancer incidence. So you couldn't explain it that way. They just didn't make sense of it. So they sort of let it go. Um, I, uh, my study came out in 1995. That was in 1991, but even by their results, half of the half of breast cancer could be eliminated by ending the bra. I think it's even bigger than that. Um, so, you know, why aren't we trying this? Why aren't we telling people about it? That's the nature of a culturogenic disease. And, and I, we've coined that term, and I run the Institute for the Study of Culturogenic Disease. That's what I, I've created. Um, we study how the culture causes disease by these attitudes and behaviors that it gives us. And what ends up happening is there are industries that profit from it. And the medical industry looks the other way because they're making money on it. And the industries that profit from it often fund medical research. For example, you know, the tobacco industry funds lung cancer research. The bra industry funds breast cancer research. They do um, a lot. And, uh, you know, what they do is they just get a, st they get a stake in it. They become a stakeholder. And then the, uh, as long as they're paying... No one's going to argue with them. And then, of course, the rest of it is funded in breast cancer uh, and in all these other diseases. You know, the funding is for detecting and treating disease. If you look at, like, the American Cancer Society or the Coleman Foundation, their whole thing is early detection and treatment. Mm 
Of course, early detection means you got it. They detected it. They found it. So they're looking for cancer and treating it. They're not trying to prevent it because they don't get paid to prevent cancer. Uh, you know, they get paid to detect it and treat it. So we there, there are a lot of culture-caused problems. I mean, this is the, the one that is most... Uh, uh, interesting because, you know, we're talking about breasts and bras. It's a sexy topic. And that's actually both um, a, a problem and a benefit. The benefit is people are willing to listen to what you're saying. The problem is because it's so sexualized, when you tell women this, the first thing they'll do, uh, many of them, is they feel threatened by this. Like, oh my God, I can't be in public without my bra. I'm going to look a certain way. I'm going to be considered a, a loose woman. You just want to see me without my bra on. All sorts of sexual things come into their minds. The fear factor is huge because they've been brainwashed into thinking they can't be in public without something covering their breasts. I mean, even under their clothes. It's not like they're naked. They're, bra they're not top free. Mm -hmm. They're still wearing a shirt and, you know, they can be wearing a camisole. They could be wearing a vest, a jacket on top of that, and they'll still feel vulnerable somehow. That's cultural conditioning, and that's what's killing women. And we need to have I'm, – I'm suggesting that women try this. Just go bra-free and see how you feel, and you'll know. Let your body be your guide. You'll know within a few days. Give it a month. You'll see that your next menstrual period, you won't even – you might not even know it's coming because your breasts aren't going to be sore. And then if the American Cancer Society or Coleman Foundation comes over to you and asks you for a donation, send them your bra. Don't send them money because they've got to get the message that they need to stop stonewalling this issue, ignoring it, and telling women it's okay and safe to wear your bra. But just make sure you come for regular x-rays of your breasts, also known as mammograms, so that we can look for cancers. And, of course, x-rays cause cancers. So, you know, it, it's, they're not doing anything good. I don't, I'm really surprised people even listen to them anymore. Mm -hmm. Wow, I can't even believe all of that. And I actually wanted to challenge you for this one little quote that I read. Actually, when I, I reposted that um, interview you did with Sean, and someone commented on that and said to me, um, correlation does not mean causation, I think. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so I, I, I glanced at, the, at the, the article, and I just decided I wanted to grab something from it so that I could ask you about it and then, you know, Maybe she could hear it or everyone else who's read that can, can hear your answer. So I grabbed this quote. Um, so it starts with, their study did find among women who wore bras, larger cup size was associated with increased risk of breast cancer. Most experts think the culprit here isn't bras, but having more breast tissue, which is correlated not only with increased risk of breast cancer, but also with overweight or obesity, which itself causes metabolic changes that increase breast cancer risk. So what do you have to say about that? Well, the answer is technical. The, the obesity is a risk factor for breast cancer in postmenopausal women, older women. Mm -hmm. And in fact, this study in, that they were talking about, the Harvard study I mentioned, they found uh, that this increase in breast cancer was in, from wearing, bra, uh, wearing bras. In other words, bra-free women had lower rates. That was in premenopausal women for young women. So you can't use the excuse of breast size or obesity for premenopausal women when that's only known to be a small factor in postmenopausal women. So that's one answer. The second answer is none of the factors for obesity uh, or, or breast size 
Now, breast size is very controversial as a factor. You know, a lot of studies say it has no impact whatsoever. Uh, you know, it's not a strong indicator. You can men get breast cancer too. You know, it's, the breast size is not what's causing it, um, and it certainly couldn't explain the huge difference created by the bra. So we're talking about a huge factor, and it's not just correlation. Correlation means there's no necessary connection that you can see. You just see that there's this thing is correlated with that thing, and we don't know why. Here, there's an actual mechanism. So you're talking causation, not correlation. When you could see the mechanism of lymphatic blockage leading to tissue toxification and cancer, you know, that's a causal mechanism. And lymphatic blockage has been associated with cancer before. In fact, they knew about that back in the 1930s. But the lymphatics have been forgotten by science. I'll tell you an interesting story, uh, which reveal a lot. When my book first came out, Dressed to Kill, first came out in 1995, uh, it was published by Avery Publishing Group. They, do, uh, they did a lot of um, alternative health books. And um, they actually sold advanced publication rights, uh, f- like before the book comes out for a newspaper or whatever, would like to have like a, a scoop on the story. Nobody wanted to touch it, um, except the National Enquirer did. And there was a huge two-page spread in the National Enquirer. They actually did a pretty good review of it. Um, because of that, a woman who worked for NBC Dateline, she um, and she's a producer, she saw that, and she thought this would be a great opportunity to ridicule um, my whole work uh, because, you know, that's the first thing people thought back then. It's like, oh, that's ridiculous. That can't be. So what happened was she contacted me and started interviewing me for a segment on Dateline. She found a medical historian who she uses as one of her sources. um, And he actually defended my work uh, saying that we've resurrected the lymphatic system and we should be congratulated for bringing that back. That has been known as a cause of cancer, blocking the lymphatics or lymph stasis, it's called, you know, it's static lymph flow, has been associated with cancer, and we were bringing it back. He thought that was really great, a great contribution to all of this. So she started to, um, it, it changed her story a little bit, and she herself was a 24-hour-a-day bra wearer, this producer. I mean, she's traveling here, there, and the other place, and she just leaves her bra on. She's always, like, on the go. And uh, she had terrible breast cysts. She had real bad breast disease. So she's she's just tried it and she stopped wearing her bra and her breasts improved dramatically. She was very grateful to us for that. But then um, what ended up happening was she killed the story. She didn't kill it, but her higher ups killed the story. Because what happened was as soon as it became from a negative story to a positive story, they didn't want to run it. And that's because Dateline is... Uh, an NBC program. NBC is owned by General Electric. General Electric makes mammography machines. And this is what she told me. And it's the policy of Dateline not to do any program that exposes anything that could affect any of the financial interests of the parent company of General Electric. So they were afraid if women got to know that it's the bra, then they won't go for their mammograms. And mammograms are big money. So they killed the story. So that gives you insight into the politics of this and um, 
you know, there was another interesting, uh, um, I almost had a study done here in, uh, where I live in Hawaii. Uh, there was a radiology firm that uh, did breast, uh, a lot of breast screening. And they, the head of the place really agreed with me, thought it was fascinating. I wanted to do a little study showing that when women get rid of their bra, their cysts go away. And uh, he spoke with his partners, though, and then they nixed the idea because they said that they they just bought a new mammography machine and they um, were afraid they were going to lose profits if they showed that this was the case. So how's that for pretty sick? Um, you're dealing with a culture that really profits from disease. Wow. I was literally just about to say that's so sick. Like, that is absolutely disgusting when I really think about it. Do you... Oh. So do you think that mammograms are not necessary at all then? I would do a thermogram if you're interested, but thermograms are non-invasive. They look at the heat in the breast, and, and when there is inflammation, it's hotter, and you could see that there's something going on. Uh, and so I would recommend thermograms. X-rays are cumulative and damage to your tissue. They shoot particles right through your cells. X-rays are bad. If you really need need one, you know, like you're going into surgery and they need to see what's in you. Okay. But, you know, to just do routine screenings with something that is a carcinogen, that's not a good idea. And if that's your idea of prevention, now when I was in medical school back in the, um, in the late eighties, uh, they, I was reading about this whole experiment on mammograms. They were thinking, Hey, if we do mammograms, can we lower the incidence of breast cancer early detecting? So, you know, let's see if we can, if, will that, will that help? It was an experiment. So they pushed it like crazy. They got the media to help because they pay the media is just infomercials. You know, it's just they report what they're paid to report. And they pushed the mammograms. And what happened was everybody got earlier and earlier detection because, you know, if you could see, you know, a lot of people die with tumors in their bodies that never killed them. They die from something else, you know. And, and if you're looking at the breast, if you didn't know you had something in there, it may never bother you ever. But they're getting now so they can do pre-cancer screenings. So it's like we're trying to get things that look, maybe they're going to become cancerous and then they'll get them, do a little a little uh, lumpectomy or whatever, remove it. And then they'll say, we just stopped the breast cancer. So the statistics shoot up. It looks like a huge epidemic. That was because of all the increased detection of even pre-cancers. In fact, they, as a side, they love pre-cancer treatment so much because they get paid to treat, right? So that, that's why they're doing the genetic screening. That's what the Angelina Jolie thing is. We're looking at, in the future, genetic screening is going to be used more and more to get people to do procedures before they even have a problem, which is really unethical and is going to cause so many problems. It's really eugenics, because part of what Angelina Jolie, what they were going to do is remove her ovaries too. They don't want you to reproduce. They're basically saying, you got defective genes. We want you out of the gene pool. So we're going to have more and more eugenics, which is selecting people on ge genetic basis of health or whatever. Yeah. People are going to get genetics. Oh, this is what's happening. This is where the money is going to be. Because it's like utopia, like the, all those books about the utopian yeah. society. Yeah, it's more of a dystopia, but dystopia, they're, yeah. going, they're going to be, um, you know, the reason they like genetics is because it's out of your control. Medicine does not want you to have control over your life. It wants you to be going to the doctor to tell you whether you're healthy or not and to tell you what drugs to take, usually with lifetime regimens. And that's what they're into. They want you hooked. And my job 
is to counter that. That's why I quit medicine. Uh, I, I think it's corrupted by financial incentive and doctors themselves. I mean, they're just regular people. They don't know more than, you know, you could figure out on yourself on the internet. You know, it's not, I've, you'd be amazed how stupid some doctors are. And because they have the, the MD after their name, uh, anything they say is considered like the final word, which um, is the reason that I don't use an MD. That's why I quit medical school. I was at the top of my class. I was on an academic scholarship. I was in the MD PhD program at University of Texas at Galveston. And I was, uh, I know you're in Texas, so I thought I'd say that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was in their medical humanities PhD program. I was the first medical student in that program. I had already been through a PhD program at Duke University in biochemistry and, and then in anthropology. Um, and then I, um, but I didn't want all the degrees for, for a couple of reasons. One, to get the degree, you have to sort of be a clone of them and you have to think the way they do. And I don't think the way they do because um, they're, they're into tr treating disease with drugs and I was into preventing disease. And secondly, I don't want people to listen to what I say because I'm Dr. Singer. I want you to listen to what I say if it makes sense. And I want people to exercise their own reasoning and, and be empowered to change their lives for the better to heal disease because the biggest killer is what we're doing to ourselves. You know, the World Health Organization says 80% of the diseases of our time are caused and deaths are caused by lifestyle. And it's not just your diet and exercise and smoking and drinking. It's wearing tight clothes too, things that you don't think about. That's what I do. I research things that people don't think about, they don't want to talk about because there's industries that shut it all up. And I've run into researchers that discover things like sunscreen causes skin cancer. I've heard that Several times now, over different years, studies have shown sunscreen is causing skin cancer. Really? It doesn't. Yes. But that doesn't stop the American Dermatological Association from promoting sunscreen, which is a multi-billion dollar a year business. I mean, you, and, and if you think about it, you know, anything, if you look at the ingredients on sunscreen, a lot of those ingredients are toxic, just like with underarm deodorants, which some people think is connected to breast cancer. A recent... Uh, a recent study out of um, Scotland uh, was finding that over the last several decades, more and more cancers are in the upper outer quadrant, like near your armpit part of the breast. And they were wondering why, and they think it's because of the bra and because of underarm deodorants and antiperspirants, which if you look at the ingredients, they have things in them that are carcinogenic. Um, you know, some of the parabens, uh, aluminum, um, you know, there's, there are, these, if you don't want to eat it, you shouldn't put it to your, on your skin. And then when you shave, it opens up pores so it can go right into the skin. So we're toxifying the breasts by applying chemicals to it. And the skin, which is a huge organ that absorbs stuff. I, I gave a massage the other day with olive oil to someone, to my wife actually, and the olive oil was gone. It just soaks right into your body. So you imagine you're reading the label on this stuff and you put it on your body. Then go into the sun and cook in UV light. You know, in organic chemistry, one of the ways to cause chemical reactions is to, to put something under UV light. It, it causes bonds to break and form and all sorts of things. So you're taking this chemical uh, concoction, putting it on your skin, and then letting chemical reactions occur in the sunlight, and you're going to be producing carcinogens. And so, you know, chemicals are the real cause. You know, you know what? Th this is interesting, you might find, Maddie. You know what the highest, one of the highest sites 
for skin cancer. You'll never guess. It's the bottom of your foot. What? People get skin cancer on their feet, the bottom of the foot, and it's not from the sun. It's from the chemicals you're soaking in from the shoes. I mean, if you smell, you smell new shoes, you ever go into a shoe store like in the mall and you could be knocked over by the smell? I feel so sorry for the people working in those places. They're like, the, the, I don't know how OSHA, you know, occupational safety, I don't know how they allow stores like that to exist. It's worse than Walmart. You go into these places and you could just smell the chemicals knock you over and um, that's why there's usually a big turnover, I think, of the staff in these shoe stores. And then you take your foot and you soak it, soak your skin in that. Even if you're wearing a sock and you sweat, you should definitely wear a sock. But if, you, if you're sweating in your socks, it's sitting in there. Smell your sock at the end of the day. It's going to smell like all of the, the glues and these bad chemicals, you know, that retreating leather or the plastic residues or whatever. Shoes stink and not just from foot odor, from chemical odor. So, yeah, that, that's really what's going on. And I, I promised you, I want to shift topics. I'm not giving you enough time to talk. You need to talk more. <laughs> Anything you want, do you want to, I don't want to just monopolize this because I, I could talk for hours. I've done this for hours on the radio. Um, anything you want to talk about bras and breasts anymore or can we go on to like tampons? I'm ready to go to tampons. I'm like seriously, I'm absolutely loving this. I'm, I'm just sitting back and absorbing all of the information you're providing. So let's go ahead and talk about tampons. Yeah. And, and let me, let me tell the listener, go to my website, killerculture.com. And I have articles on all of this stuff and books that I've written that'll describe this Buy the books, support us, but the articles are free. And I'm going to talk now about, um, a, a little story of how I found out about tampons. Um, I had, there was a, a young inner teens, like 18, 19 year old girl, who ended up getting, um, she was told by the clinic that she was getting cervical dysplasia and they wanted to do like a biopsy. Now, you know, you don't want them starting to cut on your cervix because if they take a chunk out of your cervix, you can get scar tissue. It might be a little more difficult to deliver a baby later on and stuff like this, right? So you definitely don't want to start doing that. Biopsies are not benign. And I mean, it's a mini surgery. And the question was, why would a 19 year old girl get cervical dysplasia? So, you know, the first thing that you do when you have a problem, this is like, this is how you approach these things. The first thing you ask yourself is, what am I doing to that part of my body? You know, that's the first thing you got to assume it's you. What am I doing to that part of my body? So I asked her, I said, I was thinking, what could she be doing to her vaginal area that could be causing dysplasia? Now, dysplasia is an abnormal growth of cells. That's what all that means. It's just growing abnormally extra growth. Well, I said, are you wearing a using a tampon? And then she said, yes. So I said, well, stop using the tampon. And her dysplasia went away. And what happened is the tampon is rubbing against the cervix and as it rubs it creates a callus and that's abnormal cell growth so she was actually causing the irritation from the tampon against her cervix was causing that alleged dysplasia the other thing about tampons that's important to know is they they are known to cause micro abrasions 
in the mucous membrane of your of the vaginal wall. So you get tiny little ulcers basically in the vaginal wall caused by this tampon. And if, if you wonder what I'm talking about, you know, when you go to the dentist, they sometimes stick cotton in your cheek while they're working on your teeth. Maybe you haven't had to go through that. But by the time they take it out, the wad of cotton in your cheek, your cheek is kind of raw. Well, imagine taking a tampon and sticking it in the cheek of your mouth for three to four days, okay? You know what you, how raw the inside of your cheek is going to be, that mucous membrane? It's going to be stripped and, and raw, cut open. I mean, you'll have little microscopic abrasions that are entry points for bacteria and yeast. So you're going to give yourself a predisposition to yeast infections if you use tampons irritating the vaginal lining. So don't use tampons. That's, I'm not even talking about toxic shock syndrome, which is from the chemicals in the tampons that leach out and can cause reactions. Okay, That's another factor. Even if you get like organic, whatever, from the health food store tampons, you, know, you shouldn't be using a tampon. Um, you know, the other thing is when women are menstruating, the whole purpose of tampon is like, I don't have time for this. You know, I gotta, I gotta do what I do. I don't have time to, to just menstruate and sit around and deal with, with blood. Um, I'm just going to put the tampon in and go around my normal activities. Well, that's a bad thing because, um, you know, you need to rest at those times and not, uh, and you need to pay attention to your body. I don't like the philosophy that our culture gives. I don't know, maybe this is an old commercial, but they used to sell, you know, I haven't got time for the pain and they were selling pain relievers. And they, it was like, I just don't have time. I'm too busy to be sick, to take care of myself. I'm going to take a drug that'll mask the symptoms so I can go on. If I'm stuffy, I'll take antihistamines and go to work and spread whatever cold I have. If, I, if I'm menstruating, I'm going to put in a tampon and go swimming anyway. If I'm, you know, or whatever. Or even, even having sex on, when you're having your period. I mean, that, that's, you shouldn't be doing that either. That brings blood to that whole area and you're going to have a heavier period. So, you know, you've got to respect your body and listen to it and let it heal. And if you're having, you know, the time of the month when women, you know, historically women had time to rest during that time of the month. Take care of themselves because it's actually a cleansing time. Which brings us to another subject. Um, you know, we talked about menstruation. What about menopause? Mm -hmm. And a lot of women experience hot flashes and, um, spot, you know, spontaneous sweating when they go into menopause and they don't, you know, medicine says, oh, it's because you're deranged. Your whole hormonal system is out of whack. You need hormone replacement and so forth, usually from the urine of horses that they extract the estrogen from. That's what Premarin is. Um, so they, they have this, you know, they have a good sales pitch for women telling them there's something wrong with you and you're just breaking down. You need hormones. Well, I did an interesting study on this. Um, my theory was that menstruation is actually a form of elimination. You know, we eliminate in many ways defecate, urinate, persp perspiration, respiration, and menstruation for women. And um, what, what's happening is that's why your estrogen peaks a few days before your period. It flushes your tissues. It causes you to swell. The water goes into your whole, throughout your whole body, and then it flushes out. 
And the endometrium is like a sponge for nutrients and for, for toxins and for anything. So all this stuff goes, cleanses your body, goes into the endometrium and out your body. And if you're really toxic, you're going to feel that. And that's why you'll have cramps when you're having your period. Because a lot of toxins are getting stored right there in your endometrium prior to sloughing off and menstruating. Now, once you stop doing that, when you hit men menopause, you've now lost a major mode of elimination. So what happens? You need to sweat and do other forms of elimination. But in a culture where we think of sweat as a bad thing, and women use antiperspirants, it's not very ladylike to sweat, um, we, what we've done is we've, we make these women extra toxic, and now they've lost menstruation. So they, their bodies get a toxin buildup to the point where they spontaneously sweat. The body is just trying to get rid of this crap, and the only way to do it is through whatever me mechanisms it has left for elimination, so it sweats profusely, and women will have this in the middle of the night. So I thought, okay, to test this, I got together a group of menopausal women. I got them free uh, membership for this purpose at like uh, the Y, uh, you know, the YMWA, uh, the the YWCA, and they went and took steam baths or saunas every day for a few weeks. Uh, actually, I wanted them to do it for a month. And what happened was half of them dropped out because they couldn't stand sweating. They just, I don't like to sweat. They kept on having a problem. They became like the control group. Their menopausal problems did not go away. The ones who sweated, by a month of sweating, their night sweats stopped. They, were, they had it under control. So in that, instead of spontaneously sweating at an inconvenient time, they just eliminated by giving themselves a steam bath and sweating. And sweating is therapeutic. So they sweated out the toxins and they didn't have to do it in the middle of the night or at other inconvenient times. And they got rid of their menopausal symptoms. And the same thing would apply to a younger woman who's having menstrual cramps. I would say you're toxic and you need to just sweat. Um, you know, give yourself a chance to get eliminate those toxins. And of course, when you sweat, you got to replace fluids, not just water, but electrolytes. So, you know, you need to, um, you know, don't, and some conditions might not be good for sweating and getting overheated. Um, so uh, if, if you have any, I think diabetes might be a problem for sweating. Uh, high blood pressure might be a problem to get overheated. But normal healthy people have no problem sweating in a steamer, you know, or a sauna. And that, that's, so that's the, um, that's an interesting study. I also did a study on um, bus drivers in Canada. Um, I lived in Victoria, BC for a little while, and I did some research there. Actually, I did this sweat study there. But then I, I also did one on the bus drivers because um, I was thinking, okay, what professions don't have the opportunity to go to the bathroom when they need to? And that's another big culturogenic problem. Have you ever found yourself, Maddie, on the road, in a car, and you got to go to the bathroom, oh, and you just there's, yeah. no, there's no place to stop? Or you're at a meeting and you got to go to the bathroom, and you just, it's not convenient. So we hold it in, and we learn to hold it in from toilet training. You know, we learn to not listen to the call of nature until it's convenient to do so. And some people are really freaked out going into public toilets. 
So they would rather hold it in than, than go to the bathroom. And some young people do that at school all day. They won't go to the bathroom. And if they have to defecate, you know, it's, it's not good. And what happens is we're, we urinate. All of these pressure on your, on your eliminatory organs causes problems. I wrote a book, my book, get it out is about all this stuff. Um, the, um, it, if you hold in, like if you have to fart and you hold that in, that actually causes a tremendous amount of pressure in your colon. And that creates diverticula, diverticula, which are pockets in the colon that can get infected and lead to diverticulitis. And in fact, you know, medicine, there was, they ignore this. There was one study in the seventies that said, uh, flattest retention, flattest is the medical word for farts. Flattest retention is a leading cause of diverticulitis. But that was ignored because your doctor isn't going to want to tell you to fart more. You know, they're going to tell you to take drugs or they can do some other things for diverticulitis. And actually, they'll say they don't know what causes the increased pressure in your colon. But, you know, it's, it's obvious what causes that pressure. But this is another cultural taboo. And they suffer from it just as much as everybody else. They can't let pass wind when they're with a patient, you know. And so you just hold it in. And it's very painful sometimes. And your colon is like a balloon. You hold that in and it bubbles out. You ever take a balloon and squeeze it and suddenly it blebs out on the side? That's, that's what goes on in your colon when you're holding in gas. So, um, uh, you know, you have to either let it pass or blow up, you know, it's, but that's the facts. And in people who live in rural areas are able to go to the bathroom a lot easier without any of, the, uh, of these types of cultural issues. So they tend to have lower disease of these types. These are more diseases of affluence where people are, are in uh, urban settings and they, they just, you know, they can't, they can't just fart when they want to or go pee when they need to. But if you're a farmer, you can. And farmers have a lower incidence of all this stuff. And if you hold in your urine, the urine causes, uh, urine retention can cause kidney stones. I mean, urine is a, is a salt solution. If you hold that in all day, it gets more and more concentrated as it, presses on your bladder too, but eventually it just starts to concentrate. And when you concentrate a salt solution, it forms crystals and that's how you get stones. So you can get bladder stones and bladder infections and kidney stones from all this because it backs up. Um, so, and also prostate uh, problems because the bladder leans on the prostate. So men who hold in their urine are going to be pressing the bladder is right above the prostate and it's going to create increased pressure on the prostate, which causes prostate enlargement to compensate. It cushions itself to compensate for that pressure. So men who hold in their urine year after year, by the time they're 60, man, they, they, their prostate is cushioned and they have an enlarged prostate and difficulty urinating and all that. This is all from re retaining your waste, which medicine will never talk about because these are taboo topics which are on our website, The Killer Culture. We have taboo topics and we give you self-studies telling you try these certain things and change your lifestyle and see if these problems go away. And they, you know, you, you can be the judge on yourself. So we did this study on bus drivers in Canada. They had no, in Victoria, BC, they had no um, rest areas. When these bus drivers started at work, they would drive their route back and forth and there was no bathroom. They had to stop the bus in the middle of their route with people on the bus, go into a restaurant, buy a cup of coffee or something because they didn't want to just be abusive, which of course makes you have to go to the bathroom more. And then they would pee or whatever they needed to do. And people are waiting on the bus 
bitching at him when he comes back for making them late because he's got a schedule. He doesn't have time to go to the bathroom. And I was thinking, okay, well, this is a perfect group to study. I mean, these guys don't go to the bathroom. They must have all sorts of disease from holding in their waste. And they did. Tremendous amount. In fact, I wrote an article about it that got into the uh, Times Colonist newspaper there. They were in the middle of negotiations for uh, their union. And because of the information we brought to the public's awareness, they ended up getting money to build bathrooms for the, for the bus drivers. I mean, these poor guys were suffering. Um, but this, these, these are like the chronic diseases that get us are because of the way we're killing ourselves by, by the stupid little things we do that our culture just makes it inconvenient to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. That's intense. Um, so like going back to the gas thing, I'm kind of curious because being in like the diet world and everything links back to diet and fitness and it's all about the diet and which diet you're doing, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, in a lot of studies and a lot of books, it says that gas is not normal and you shouldn't really have gas. So you need to change your diet so that you don't have any gas. So would you say that it's perfectly normal for someone to have it or is there like a certain amount that's like too much for someone and they definitely have an allergy or is it just normal and let it pass, you know? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I would say I don't agree that there's that you should have no gas. I mean, I think actually gas probably helps propel the stool forward inside your intestines. Um, but you want a minimal amount of gas. You don't want too much. Sometimes you can get gas when you're stressed. You know, your diet can be the normal diet you always eat. But suddenly something very stressful happens and, the, and you're the kind of person, let's say, that responds with gas and your stomach starts to churn and your intestines just sit there. And, and you know, you got to realize most of the, I don't, I'll tell you, I, I have a different take on nutrition. Um, a lot of the focus on nutrition is the kind of substances you take into your body and they really ignore the fact that it's the bacteria in your body that's digesting that. And really a lot of what you absorb is the bacterial products. We're feeding the bacteria in our body. And, you know, so um, what the bacteria, what, what particular microflora you have, and I know some people try probiotics with the right kind of balance or whatever, but it depends on who you are and what food you're eating. Like if you're, if you're a meat eater and you start taking a lot of lactobacillus, which is good for milk, it might not help you at all. It's not the right probiotic for a meat eater. And if you're, um, and depending on, I mean, there's so many bacteria in your gut that are living peacefully. It's like, it's like a huge uh, ecosystem mm-hmm. and your intestines are lined with an immune system through things called like the payers patches, which are lymph tissue uh, that that's part of your immune system throughout the entire intestines. And that that's like there to, um, uh, to tend the garden, so to speak, you know, it, it's controlling uh, the, the microflora. So if you're eating the wrong kind of food for your microflora, you might get gas. Um, you might want to consider changing your diet, but you might just as well change your microflora too at times, um, you know, which you can do by eating raw foods that have bacteria in them, like raw sauerkraut or, uh, you know, even leftovers are going to have some bacteria in them. Um, but I'm not saying you should eat rotten food. But, you know, it, it's what I'm getting at is, I think it's oversimplistic to just assume that the diet that you know you're taking into your body is what you're going to ultimately get in your body. 
you know, uh, it's the bacteria is going to have its go at that first. And it's going to produce a whole bunch of stuff that you will then be absorbing. Um, and you can get colonies of things in your body that you might not want there. And uh, that's a whole nother subject that I've, I've written about. Um, I'm probably telling you too much today, uh, but since we're talking, I might as well, <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's about uh, genetically modified organisms that produce things like insulin. That's um, the drug companies now make human insulin, human growth hormone uh, and enzymes by using genetically modified baker's yeast and E. coli. Those are the two big microorganisms they like to use. And um, these, that's how they make human insulin. So they've taken the gene for human insulin out of a human cell and they put it into a yeast cell, that baker's yeast actually. And these have gotten out into the environment accidentally. They've, they admit it. These com the company that does this is Novo Nordisk actually. And they've admitted they've had accidental releases. And uh, they say that they're, they're, their yeast won't live in the wild, but you know, they're the ones who are the police on it too. So I think what can happen is when these get into your body, I mean, that's a food product, you know, baker's yeast. And E. coli is the other one that's, that's used. Eli Lilly does that with its human insulin. And growth hormone is done the same way in these bacteria. That's, a, that's the, the nature of, uh, of drugs these days. They're trying to make genetic. And anytime you look at enzymes, like on a, on a cheese container, and it'll say enzymes, uh, you know, as one of the ingredients, those are all genetically modified. They come from either yeast. Usually yeast is what the, the organism they'll use. They extract the enzyme that whatever they want from whatever microorganism, and then they grow it in the yeast. And they, they have that fermentation down. Like digestive uh, it, enzymes? Yeah. Well, the enzymes are like for uh, making cheese. Okay. Um, or for softening bread. Or, you know, you look at any of these products. If it says the word enzymes, you it's guaranteed it's going to be a genetically modified product. That might not be bad in and of itself. But the problem is these microorganisms if they get into your intestines, they're going to be producing this stuff in your body. And I think this is a cause of the epidemic of obesity and type 2 diabetes, which is like all around the world now. And it's people are just, if you have a microorganism in your body that makes insulin, then you will get what's called hyperinsulinemia, too much insulin in your blood. And the symptoms of hyperinsulinemia are obesity and diabetes. So, you know, your cells just start soaking up the sugar and water goes with it. You start to swell and you become, um, your, your sensitivity to insulin starts to go down because you have so much of it. But then you become dependent on, on this external source. Your body stops making as much on its own. And if you then, your intestines, I mean, you're dealing with something in your guts. It can come and go and can get stimulated when you eat sugar. And then maybe when you, when you eat a different diet, it doesn't get stimulated. And it's going to be deranging your entire metabolism because you're taking in hormones from your gut in, back, in microorganisms. And this is the whole field that is a nightmare waiting to happen in the future as this becomes more and more recognized as we use genetically modified organisms to produce these types of substances. And I have an article on my website called Genetically Engineered Diabetes. And um, if you're interested in reading more about this, but that's a real concern. Um, I mean, people have concerns about GMOs, like GMO corn, should I eat it or whatever, GMO soybeans. I mean, that's one concern. 
But these are microorganisms that make stuff that are alive. And if they get in your gut microflora, you're going to have metabolic diseases that doctors won't even know what they're dealing with. They won't know why it's it, it comes and goes. I mean, if you have yeast, yeast like sugar. So maybe that's one of the reasons people react to sugar so badly because they're feeding the yeast in their body. Whether or not it's the yeast that makes um, this genetically modified yeast or just regular yeast. You know, guys who drink beer, they're getting yeast. Um, you know, the that's why they get these big bellies. They're basically turning their bodies into a, a yeast fermentation vat. And then they, they crave foods that feed the yeast. They become like slaves of the bacteria in their body. That gives us cravings. I'm not telling you anything that hasn't been shown in medicine. It's just this stuff isn't talked about because it's, it's not standard stuff. That, that uh, It's very hard for the culture to change the way it thinks about things. But more and more research is going, coming out about microflora. In fact, one of the weird, weirdest types of things they're doing now, have you ever heard of, um, of the therapy they're doing for people with colitis and Crohn's disease? They're giving them um, suppositories of, healthy, of a healthy person's um, stool. Ugh. It's like turd therapy. Ugh. It's like that's how they inoculate the colon with health. I'm not making this up. This is what's cutting edge medicine. Oh, my goodness. Is is the, it's, a, it's a turd transplant. You take it from a healthy person with a healthy microflora and you put it in the, up uh, into the colon um, of a person that has chronic colon problems and it's, it's actually proving to be beneficial. They're discovering that the microflora that we live with are really part of us. And um, I wrote an article about tonsils, which you should read. I won't go into that now, but that relates to microflora too. That's on the website about the tonsils because um, they're important for microflora management. But anyway, any other, any other issues you want to go into? I didn't talk about one of the biggest things that, that is important um, about sleep position. That's a whole other field of research that we've pioneered. Um, it actually is supported by, by research in space medicine, but it's, um, I think I'm going to ask you to Bring me back to talk about it because it's a big story and it's extremely important and it is impacting more people than any of the other things I've just talked about. The way you're sleeping can be killing you, causing all sorts of problems. Your position in bed, whether your head is too low, whether you sleep on your belly or your side or your back, all of those are extremely important. You spend 30 years of your life doing that and it affects your physiology tremendously. And we've done research on that. I have a book on that called Get It Up which is about raising the head of your bed to reduce brain pressure. And that's the bottom line, but the whole story is very important. And that affects, it causes all sorts of diseases. The migraines we get rid of by raising your bed, Alzheimer's, stroke, glaucoma, sleep apnea, attention deficit disorder. You know, your brain is responsible for a whole bunch of stuff. And when it's too flat, when you're sleeping, it gets congested with too much pressure. And if you raise the head of the bed, about 20 degrees, uh, you, you drain better, your brain circulation improves, and you'll be a new person in the morning. Congestion goes away, sinus congestion, your whole head becomes less pressurized. So a lot of people are suffering from increased brain pressure, facial pressure, eye pressure, ear pressure, just from having their heads too low in bed for too long every day. And just by raising the, the elevation of the head of the bed, you actually can improve your life. That's why, that's why hospital beds are adjustable so you can raise the bed. 
um, it, it's um, it's a tremendously important subject. So I suggest you go to killerculture.com and look at that um, and get the book, get it up. And you can also see the article um, called The Way You're Sleeping May Be Killing You. Heads up, The Way You're Sleeping May Be Killing You. But these are all, uh, the, if you notice though, I, I, a long time ago in this conversation, I mentioned to you how these are really simple things. Holding in your waist, uh, sleeping too flat, getting pressure in the head. That's a gravity issue. You'll never see medicine talk about gravity, but it accepts space medicine because astronauts have a problem. As a result of no gravity, fluid shifts to the head. And they simulate that by having people lie flat on Earth to test these things. So they know about this. And astronauts get glaucoma and they get migraines and they get all sorts of ear problems because of fluid shifting to the head because you need gravity to drain your head. Like when you're standing, you know, gravity pulls blood from your head. It's a, because the blood is, head is above your heart. So gravity pulls down and resists the heart pumping up. And when you lie down, the head and the heart are on the same level. So your brain gets pressurized. That's why your neck veins stick out. Your face can turn red. You know, if you do a headstand, it's the opposite. And you'll actually majorly pressurize your brain and your head. And you can kill yourself that way if you did that for like 12 hours. So you... Um, adjusting the elevation of your head, especially when you're sleeping, has tremendous impact, but that is ignored in medicine. Tight clothing and its effect on circulation, ignored. These are simple things. And that's the problem. Maybe they're so simple, you don't need to, you don't need a drug, you don't need a surgery, you don't even need a doctor. So don't expect the medical profession to tell you about these. And that's one of our big problems. That's that's what's bankrupting this culture with all of our medical care, you know, everyone's arguing about how to pay for it instead of asking why the hell are we all sick and how can we get rid of this problem and be healthier culture? You know, if you got rid of all these problems, we'd get rid of so many products and we change so many things that we do that it would destroy the economy. Everyone would be unhappy and they'd say, let's go back to using that stuff and just get treated when we need it. Yeah. Sydney, Sydney, Literally, this has been one of the most amazing episodes. Like, thank you so much for coming on. I feel like all of this information is stuff that people can actually apply to their lives today. And um, that's not that common anymore because like you've been saying, we're all so focused on what we can do after we already get something. And now we know a lot of stuff to do right now. So yeah. I'm most definitely going to have you on this show again. Thank you so much. I'll have your links on the show notes so that everyone can go check you out and read your articles. And um, I just can't wait to have you on again and for everyone to hear this information. So thank you so much for joining me. Well, it's my pleasure, Maddie. I'm glad that, that uh, we were able to talk. Yeah, me too. I'll catch you next time. Okay, bye-bye now. Thanks again for listening, friends. I'm Maddie Moon, and you have been enjoying the Mind Body Musings podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to rate and review it in the iTunes store as well as subscribe. Also, please remember I'm glad to continue the conversation on my website, mindbodymusings.com, where you can also sign up for my free ebook. 
How to Love Your Body Again, 10 Easy Steps to Stop Sacrificing and Start Living. I created this book to help everyone that struggles with body image, dieting, overtraining, and negative self-esteem to learn how to not only accept who you are, but love who you are. This is coming from an ex-fitness model and bikini competitor, so trust me, I know what it's like to have those struggles and to want to be rid of them. So please, if any of that sounds good, head on over to moonfitness.net and sign up. Thanks for listening.